there's a lot of investment products or financial instruments available. I mean, the, the list is probably endless. Yeah. How does someone decide what's the best fit for them? What's that process look like? Yeah. Um, again, it, go, it goes back to making sure that it is that US specific proposition for me because um, sadly where, where people or US people have engaged and, and tried to get advice internationally, you know, if we look back over the last uh, 12 years now, since kind of that implementation of FATCA in 2010 and, and, and people starting to take notice of it up until kind of 2012 where foreign, foreign institutions really caught on to what was going on. But you know, you had before 2010, you had the entire world to talk to as a US person. You know, you had all the financial institutions globally. If you're an expat working in the Middle East, you know, anybody would talk to you, anybody would provide you advice and anybody would take you on as a client. Post that 2010 um, FATCA initiative, then, then that world shrank because those those offshore institutions didn't necessarily want to deal with you as a, as a person because you had that US connection. And much of that planning then went back to the US. But then since 2015, I'd say probably HSBC be one of the first kind of then the pressure from the SEC and the increased KYC and AML requirements for, for banking in, and, and investment advice in the US, that started to get harder. So the, the world has started to shrink. So whilst the universe is huge, it's become quite constricted. I think it's probably one of the biggest reasons why, certainly from our point of view, the US expat market is, is, is vastly underserved today. Mm -hmm. um, but those that have had financial advice or those that are seeking financial advice, and the one thing is to be aware of is that it has to be that US-specific proposition because taking advice from... Um, an individual who doesn't or a firm that doesn't and doesn't have access to the right solutions you know if you end up with a, a non-domiciled us solution so you know let's take mutual funds for a second if, if you're not familiar with what a mutual fund is it's a, a collective investment vehicle based on maybe an indice or a sector or a geography let's take north america for example you could have money invested in a north american mutual fund and it would be virtually invested in kind of the SP and the wider market um, but if that wasn't if that fund house hadn't based its fund out of America and it had based itself out of, let's say, um, Luxembourg or Ireland, for example, two very popular jurisdictions for, for non-US mutual funds. Those, those are what we would call um, passive foreign investment companies or PFIX, right? And um, as an American, you don't want to end up with one of those. Um, Dan, you, you'll be probably able to tell people more why you don't want to end up with one of those. But ultimately, they're just taxed punitively. Um, so really, it's the number one thing from my point of view as an expat. It's, the easy, it's probably the easiest thing to end up with, um, but the worst thing as a result, because you know it's just it's just not good from a tax planning point of view and a, and a, and a financial planning point of view. So that's really something to stay away from. I think when trying to understand what you need to have in, in your life, it's, it's, again, sitting down and and understanding um, what what part to play that investment vehicle has. So again, I've seen, sadly, I've seen you know, people try and seek advice, um, a financial planner or a financial advisor or an investment banking, private bank, whatever it may be, whatever kind of scope we're engaging that person on, try and do the right thing. So, you know, maybe invest money through um, US uh, wrappers, for example, pension wrappers, for example, have been quite popular over the last decade or so. Um, and that allows, and a US person, not necessarily to end up with US domiciled assets, but they can end up with foreign or PFIX, but in a wrap scenario, um, which doesn't cause that tax problem. But what it does is it puts that money in an environment that potentially there's limitations on access and consequences on drawdown. So again, just to kind of simplify that, it's you know if you've met somebody or you're talking to somebody who's encouraging you to invest in a in a wrapper or a structure that, that allows you to invest in this big, huge universe of of investments that, that are available to so many, just understand what that wrapper is and what the consequences are of doing it. You know, so kind of the second point, the first point is, you know, make sure it's US domicile, but that's the first one. We need to make sure that we've got the right thing in place. 
make sure that the structure of what you're investing in is suitable for you. So if it is an offshore wrapper, for example, does it meet your criteria for the future? It might be a US domicile structure. So, you know, for example, we have various different types of accounts in the US. We have um, just a general investment account or a brokerage account, right? That's just, you have the ability to put money in and take money out as and when you need to. Um, but then you have Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, 401ks, 529s, all, all these other structures. And um, I think it's important just to understand the structure that you're investing through and, and make sure that you know the limitations of that and, and what it can and can't do for you. And then kind of thirdly, the last one is, and this applies to all those structures across the board, is, um, and this is probably the most important one for me, is just understand the investment strategy. So if you have got the right advice and it is, it is US domicile, so you're investing in US investments, whether it be ETFs or mutual funds or direct stocks, et cetera, um, and it's in a vehicle that you want it to be in, so just a brokerage account, Understand then how that money is being invested and the journey that that money is going on. So make sure your risk profiling around that money is the right one for you. Again, I see so many people who, as a knee-jerk reaction, would be quite a cautious investor because it may be their first time investing, for example. But they're investing their, that money, that specific money that they're taking advice on for their retirement or for a, a future date, which is you know well in excess of 10, 15 years. But taking a cautious approach to that money may not always be the right thing to do um, and similarly you know people who are very keen on investments low investing may take kind of a very high risk attitude to a very short duration and especially in markets like this year is, is not an anomaly if people are looking at the markets and worrying and um, guys be aware it's not an anomaly it might be an anomaly in your investing lifetime but trust me this has happened you know, 14 times since the 70s you know 20 times plus since the, the last world war we had we see huge market sellers we know that these things do happen but just understand how your money is invested, the type of risk associated with the portfolio that you've, you've chosen, and then what you can expect through that journey. And then the most important thing is coming towards that liquidation event and having that, again, that same right uh, attitude of risk associated with the portfolio. So they're kind of the three things. They're not, you know, I can't ever say, you know, you should be solely invested in this or solely invested in that. You know, that, that that's not what we do. We kind of just try and put that plan around um, that investment and that's why i said for most the planning part is the most important part investment management comes second because if you can answer these questions as that client goes through the journey you end up kind of tailor makes itself by the time you, you, you answer all the questions um but they're really the three things for me you know make sure it's us specific make sure you know the wrapper or the structure that you're investing through and then just be aware of the risk profile that you're that you're allocating to that portfolio Mm. Thank you for that. Again, very comprehensive. I just wanted to, to talk a bit on the second point you raised about being cautious with products and platforms that yeah. may not be U.S. domiciled. And as you mentioned, uh, PFIX, right, the passive foreign investment uh, companies, they are a very specific and credible risk. I mean, just this morning, uh, you know, uh, speaking to a client in Singapore who is about to make an important decision, he's getting married and stuff like that. So he's just going through his affairs. And he realizes that he has PFIX because he invested yeah. in products that were, were, were pitched at him. And, and for those who are not aware, I, I just want to kind of speak to what these acronyms mean. So KYC, those of you who know your customer stuff that the banks take you through, that's why it takes such a long time. AML, anti-money laundering, and PFIX, as we said, passing foreign investment companies. As to the origin of PFIX, they date back to the 1980s under President Reagan. So uh, during that term, we saw the creation of, well, Section 1297, which speaks to, as Tom said, those collective investment vehicles, where at least 75% of that structure's gross income is passive, or 50% of the assets on investment held to create passive income. So basically, a non, you're thinking in terms of a non-US mutual fund. So sometimes they're called unit trust. And then, you know, as you mentioned, Tom, Tom mentioned rappers. So sometimes something may appear to be a pension, 
a non-US pension or some non-US retirement product or some non-US insurance product. And when, as U.S. tax professionals, we take a look inside, like we did with our client this morning, and then, oops, you have a, you have a PFIC. So, again, it's really good. I mean, just on the side of caution and just stick to as much as possible if you just want to be super conservative with U.S. down, down south products. But if not, if you if you want to look outside, then just definitely get advice before you jump in because the the reason why PFIX were created was because the U.S. domestic financial institutions began complaining to Congress that hey, Americans were getting an advantage by investing outside of the U.S. They were getting a tax advantage. Basically, they don't pay tax until there's a distribution way at the end, and that put them these they put these foreign products at an advantage compared to U.S. domestic products, which is unfair. So the IRS. So when you when we talk about PFIX, PFIX are you know a bit aggressive, and they they are aggressive by design. So the, it's a section of the tax code that penalizes you as a U.S. exposed person in investing in that foreign. Uh, collective investment vehicle if, if it does trigger prefix status. So yeah, you know, to your point, definitely keep an eye on them, get advice, and you know, maybe it's best to stay away depending on your situation. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.